over to Genesis. What do you think? Good idea? <laughs> well, we're trying to plow through Genesis, and uh, we're not getting very far. And uh, tonight, I'm only going to do two verses. That's all we can get through. I know. I don't know what we're going to do. I was joking with a few of you that I'm gonna, we're going to be 90 by the time we're done with this. But hallelujah. We're going to get there, right? <laughs> you know, I keep hearing Bible stories that are like Exodus and Joshua. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to get to that one. But you know, at this rate, I don't know. Might have to leave that one for the next generation, huh? Okay, so Genesis 8. Genesis 8. Uh, last week, anybody remember what we talked about last week? Noah. Good one. Were you here even? Okay. Getting out of the ark. How long was Noah and all those animals in the family in the ark? Somewhere in there. One year. Let's just say a year. Let's round it to a year. They were in that thing for a year. That is a long year, don't you think? Um, and uh, we talked about the fact that uh, God spoke and said, get in that ark. And then he was silent while they went through their most terrible ordeal. It had to be rough. And God didn't say one word during that time. Not one word. But his might and his awesome was Might and strength, awesome strength, was seen minute by minute, day by day. Noah did not get out of the ark until he was told to get out. Remember that? Remember in verse, go down to verse 13, chapter 8, verses 13, verse 13. By the first day of the first month, Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. And Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. So why not get out? What was that over here? God hadn't said so. The verse says the surface of the ground was dry. If they had gotten out ahead of God's timing, they would have gotten their feet muddy. But they didn't. They waited for the Lord. Everybody say, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. The next verse says, by the 27th day of the second month, so they had to wait a whole other however many days, the ground was completely dry. Verse 15, then God said to Noah, come out. And when they walked out, after this torrential, chaotic, tremendous Worldwide liquefaction is what the scientists call it. Everybody say worldwide liquefaction. Liquefaction, not liquefaction, but you know. But that's their way of saying flood, but they don't dare say the word flood because if they say flood, they have to say Noah. And if they say Noah, they have to say God. And if they say God, they have to say the Bible. And then they have to say, "Um, what about me and you, God? So global liquefaction So he gets out. They all get out. So now we're going to hit our two verses that we're going to cover here tonight. 
We'll start with 18. We'll get a running start. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his sons' wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds. Everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Now now is our verses. Ready? Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds. Oh, no, say taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds. Don't miss out on that little word all. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures. So they've been in the ark for 360-whatever days, being tossed to and fro. I don't know if they have that. Is it scopolamine, that uh, patches that you put in the back here to make sure you don't get uh, seasick? Do you think they had a few of those? <laughs> We, uh, we, we slap some of those babies on when we're out driving on mission trips because it's kind of like being in an ark. Those of you who have been with us. <laughs> the ark. So when he gets out, what would you do when you get out of the ark after 360 some odd days? Kiss the ground. <laughs> I don't know about you. What do you think uh, Eve's wife... Or, Noah's wife was doing. <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> you know, we talked last week that we weren't exactly sure what kind of creation they were coming out into. If it was just a barren wasteland with one olive branch, with one olive leaf that that silly dove went and picked and flew back. Or was there actual creation? Did God, did God recreate? I don't know. It doesn't say. Could be, but it does. we do know that there was an olive branch for that dove to get. So I want to personally say, this is not necessarily biblical, but I think that God recreated the earth. I believe that as, that's my thought, you guys can pick what you want, but I believe that as those waters receded, that uh, creation was there for them to live on and live by and live with. So that's just my thought. But the first thing, would they get out of the ark... I don't know about you, but I have a nice long to-do list for my hubby all the time. All the time. In fact, I made a new one today and he doesn't even know about it. Yet. The hose bibs aren't working. There, This is your hang your hang your head. Oh, I had a huge, you know. So don't you think that maybe Noah's wife had a few to-dos when they got out of the ark? She had no house. You know, we don't have a barn yet and we don't have, she needs a lot of stuff. Don't you think? And she looks over and what is Noah doing? He's building an altar. The first thing Noah did, he did not build his own house. He built an altar to the Lord. That's the first thing he did when he got off that ark. Now I'm believing that Noah's wife is like, you know, oh, good job, Noah. She, she wasn't over there going, come on, what are you doing? That's probably what I would have been doing. But... I need a house and a bed. You know, I'm going to sleep tonight on solid ground. But what Noah did was he went over and he built an altar. And this is the first time in the word that the uh, altar is, that an altar is built. It's, it can be assumed it was built prior to, but it's never been mentioned. This is the law of first mention. This is the first time an altar is mentioned in the Bible. An altar means a high place. So when Noah got out of the ark, imagine 
You know, when you go through trials, you change. Everybody say change. Look at the person next to you and say, I am not the same. Going after, you know, after going through that. Okay, that man was a changed man when he came out of that ark. That's all I can think. And he came out, he had witnessed the mass destruction of every other human being and animal on the planet. He had witnessed the awesome strength of what God had done. He had witnessed all of that. He had witnessed the sound of his voice, God's voice saying, get in the ark, I'm going to save you. He had witnessed the fact that out of everyone on the planet, he and his family had been the remnant, the the restored, the, the protected ones. He got out of that ark a humble man, is what I would think. And he looked around, and the the leftovers of this trial, of this great affliction, the leftovers were all over the place. You know, I, like I said, I don't know what it looked like. But the Bible records here that he walked over and he, they found a place. We don't know where this place is. There's lots of assumptions, but we don't know. And he started gathering rocks. The things that were left over from the trial and the test, the test of the great flood. And he started gathering rocks and building an altar. He took what was left of his trial and in the midst of his trial and he built an altar for the Lord. I would like to encourage you people, no matter what you're going through or where you are at, look around, what's there, build an altar with it. Then the Bible says that he took some of all the kinds of animals. Now, do you remember the kinds of animals? There was two of every kind of animal except for Seven of the clean animals, okay? Clean animals basically are cows, sheep, goats, pigeons, and turtle doves. And then there's, there's some other ones that are listed out or whatever. But those are the, the animals that were clean for food and for sacrifice, okay? So the Bible here says that, that Noah went over and he took some of all of them. He only has seven of each of them. Well, they have, yeah, I suppose they could have multiplied on the ark. Those would have been fun days. I always like when babies are born. Okay, all right, already. (laughs) Whatever. Let's keep going. (laughs) But the point is, it was a lavish sacrifice. He didn't have many. And he took some of each. And he sacrificed it. He killed them. He, He laid them on the altar and he killed them. And burnt them. They could have been for food. They, they don't have a whole lot right now. And the Bible says here in verse 21, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart. Now I want you to hear, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Smelled is the word ruach or breath of God. It's the same thing that when breathed out into man brought him life. And now he's breathing in this aroma of worship. And he was pleased. Now, do you understand? He breathed life into us. 
And we return worship and he breathes that back in. Do you see the exchange between the Heavenly Father and us? You were just standing here in a plain old room, standing here on a plain old Saturday, and the music started in, and you had a choice to build an altar right where you were at and begin to offer a pleasing aroma of worship up to him. Pleasing aroma. He smelled... He breathed in the ruach of what he, he was, what you were offering. And it says here that it was a pleasing aroma. That word pleasing there is means rest. It means, um, let me make sure I get all the cool things. Uh, pleasant rest satisfaction. It's like a divine. <sighs> now remember God's plight just before the flood. That there was so much strife and contention. In fact, God, it says that his heart was grieved for even making man. What is God's number one desire? Relationship with you. Relationship with you. And prior to the flood, every inclination of every heart, of every thought, of every heart was evil. And there was this clamoring, this evil has a clamor. When you look up the word evil, it means shouting and clamoring. It's a noise that comes up to God in heaven. It also speaks, so there was a noise that was on the earth that was just setting God just, and not only that, but there was a striving inside, a contending within God. And he said, I no longer will I contend with man. This was a couple chapters ago. No longer will I contend with man. But at this moment, picture the earth, completely peaceful. No clamor of evil. And Noah, he looks down and there's Noah. He's like gathering up rocks from his trial. He's building an altar. And he takes the few that he has and he slays it and burns it on the altar. And God goes... a happy God. That's a happy God. The peace on the earth at that time was amazing. And God says some things here that are pretty incredible. Are you ready? He says, verse 21, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart. So in other words, he hasn't said this outside yet. He's going to say it next chapter. But right now, he's just making some thoughts are forming. Remember, you are made in the image of God. Have you ever said in your heart anything? We are made in his image. We're like him. So he says in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Now that sentence there. He's, what he's saying there is, okay, I remember why I did this and I love it. And I think that at this moment in time, he's looking down into future. I personally think he's looking all the way to the end. 
And he's saying to himself, this is why I did this. Now we're going to have a long haul between here and there, but this is why I did this. And there will come a day where this again will pay off. And therefore, between here and there, I will not destroy you again. I will put a boundary on me right now and I will self limit myself. I will say, yes, I am God, but this God standing right here will never destroy the earth again with water. Now, those words there sound very familiar. Have you not heard those words a few chapters back? That every inclination? So how come... A few chapters back, when God said every inclination of his heart is evil, did that lead to the flood? And now this time, it's leading to a proclamation of mercy. Why? What made the difference? That was the cutest sneeze ever. Who was that? (laughs) How do you do that? Mine are just like... (laughs) Sorry, her. Sorry. (laughs) Come to church, I'll just call you a ride on out. <laughs> okay, no, does that, do you see that? Whereas before, it was a declaration, almost a, um, oh, was that another one over there? <laughs> it was, it's like a, um, a condom, what's the word? Sentence is made, you know, um, the verdict, it's like a verdict. Every inclination, therefore I'm going to wipe it clean. Now he's saying every, I'm not going to do this again even though every inclination. I want to say to you why, and I want you to catch this. I want you to really catch this. Because we're trying to learn the heart of God, remember? The heart of God? We've got to figure out God. We've got to figure him out. Because a lot of people are misunderstanding him all the time. But the difference here in this verse, I believe, is the verse before. It's the presence of that sacrifice. And that sacrifice completely changes how God is going to view his future. Now, we're going to take a a shift now away from Noah. Because right now we have a story of another sacrifice. The sacrifice. For the rest of the Bible, we're going to talk a lot about sacrifices. Right? We are in chapter 8. We have had three basic stories. We've had Adam and Eve. We've had Cain and Abel. And then we have Noah. In every single one of those stories, there was a sacrifice. Right? The end of the fall, God slays an animal, takes the skins and covers them and casts them out of the garden. There's a sacrifice. That's the first sacrifice we know of. Second sacrifice, Cain and Abel. We're, uh, you know, we're talking about one gone bad pretty much, and um, we have the first murder, and we've got problems, and the blood of Abel cries out to God. There's this clamor of evil coming up into his ears, so there's that sacrifice. Now we find Noah doing, doing another blood sacrifice. What is it about blood sacrifices? And, and as you read for the rest of this book, it talks about blood sacrifices. And this is the, something that has really been struggling in my heart because I don't believe the Western culture understands blood sacrifice. We don't get it. 
We don't understand it. But yet, in many other cultures, even today, and then if you go back hundreds of years and all the way on back, there is a a consciousness of blood sacrifice, and it's normal. It's an everyday occurrence. But we, in our Western culture, we don't get it. In fact, it kind of repels us. It's kind of icky. It's kind of bloody. It's kind of not fair. It's kind of like animal rights no-no. It's kind of PETA, they wouldn't like it kind of thing. But yet it's central to our message. So we are supposed to go out there and talk to people who don't even like blood and tell them that Jesus spilled his blood for them. And they're like, what? Why? Ew. Okay, tonight we're going to love the blood sacrifice. Okay, we're going to get it. We are going to get this thing. We're going to have it. Eight chapters, three major stories, three blood sacrifices. I'm, do you guys all have your notes out? I'm going to start doing this. God's number one desire is... Sorry for my handwriting. I never could win on handwriting. Am I going to run out of space? There we go. God's number one desire is relationship. Write that over the top of your paper because I don't ever want you to forget that. Okay? So I'm going to do a little bit of, we're going to do some doodling here because I want you to understand this so good. God's number one desire for relationship Starts off number one, right? Here is man with a smiley face. And here is God. God is what? Love. And he's got a smiley face and they're very close. See that? That's in the garden before the fall. Can you tell that? They don't have any clothes on. Okay. (laughs) You don't want me to start putting clothes on him because it won't look good. Okay. So God creates man because he wants God is love. What good is love if it has nothing to love? God is love and he had nothing to love. He had himself. There were three in one and they love each other and they're completely unified to the point where they're, they're almost inseparable, but yet they are. But God is love. Yet he was missing something. How could God, a God of perfection, miss something? But he needed something to love. So he came up with his divine experiment. And he created man. But he couldn't just create man and then say, love me. He had to make, it, it, it needed to be real love. What's real love? A choice. So... He gave him a choice. Love me. And by loving me, I'm going to give you one simple thing. I've given you everything. Everything you can eat of everything in the whole place. Except for one, just one. 
Just one. And make that choice. Obey me. Just make that little bitty choice. And it's going to be so good. We're going to live like this forever. So God gave him a choice. Have you ever gone on a date, like a blind date or a, a date with someone, and like one of you didn't like the other one really very well? I've done that before. In fact, I, I, I was set up with this date once. Sorry, honey. And um, he was cute, but he had bad breath. So bad. You know, and I was just like, oh, man. Oh, you know, couldn't it be over now? It was just bad, you know. It was like, <laughs> God didn't want that kind of date with us. He wanted us to be in love with him. He wanted us to choose him, right? Okay, so it, and it all went right, correct? Well, one day, they choose to not love him. Now, God told them in the garden, you can eat of everything. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will die. You will surely die, okay? So one day, bam, they choose to sin. And now our loving God is over here and our man and woman are over here. We have a separation now. Actually, I'm not going to put sin there. I'm going to put sin over them and I'm going to put evil in between. Got it? So we got man and woman who've chosen sin now. We've got evil now in the world that requires death. Everybody say death. And we've got a loving God. We've got a loving God. Now, our loving God is more than just loving. He's holy. And he's just. Just. Everybody say just. He's holy and he's just. Man's choice to disobey, to bring sin in, created a situation now where God and man are separated. And I call this the separation dispensation. What do you think? Is it separate? S-E-P-A-R or E-R? E-R? A separation. Shun. Is that right? Separation. Dispensation. Okay, so we got to talk about, I want you to have a really good understanding about the separation dispensation, okay? I know that sounds ridiculous, but just follow me here for a little bit. Man's choice to disobey caused something to happen in God's heart. He is completely holy and he's completely just. And in this situation, there's no wrong and there's no nothing unjust. Everything is absolutely right and perfect. But when we chose to disobey, we brought in evil and therefore death and therefore some separation. And God experienced something called wrath. Everybody write wrath down on their piece of paper. Wrath. When 
When you go into Macy's, I go into Macy's a lot. Two, yes. And I go through all the things, the racks, and I find something, and I pick it up, and I walk out the door with it. Well, I stop at the cash register, and I give them my card. I give them my card, and they do something with my card. And then I walk out the door with it. I haven't given them anything except for my signature, right? I haven't given them anything, but I have their clothes. I have their stuff, right? So at the end of the month, I get this letter in the mail. And this letter says, you have some of my stuff. You have some of my stuff, and you owe us some money. You have a debt. Now, so now I'm in a debt relationship with Macy's, and it's unjust. Everybody say unjust. God feels wrath because we're in a situation right now of injustice. See, God said, make this choice. But if you don't make this choice, you're going to break my heart. And we're going to, there's going to have to be a death to make it set right. Okay? So we did it. And God feels this thing called wrath because there's an injustice now. What is wrath? Let me explain to you something about wrath. Sin demands death because God commanded it. He set it straight. And it also causes God's wrath. Wrath is, and if you look it up in the uh, dictionary, it says that wrath, what do you think wrath is? Somebody tell me what wrath is. Anger. Justified anger. What else? Bah. Okay, can I tell you that wrath is not necessarily anger? Let me tell you what wrath is. According to the dictionary, wrath is an emotional response to a wrong or an injustice. So wrath is not necessarily anger. It's how one feels when you're in the middle of an unjust situation. God had made everything perfect and we chose against him. There was an injustice and a wrong committed. And he had a feeling. Now you and I are in his image. And when we have a wrong or an injustice committed against us, we have a feeling. Now God's framework for his entire outlook is love. Our framework for our entire outlook is fear. So when we feel an injustice against us, we react. So our interpretation of wrath is anger. God's interpretation of his emotional response to injustice. Think about it for a minute. What would it be? Oh, hurt and pain. Sadness. But we interpret God very differently because we do it through our fear framework. Everything in our being, when something is wrong, we... And so we think that's what God's doing. 
I do something wrong. He's going at me, and he's not. He's going, come on. I love you so much. I hate what this is doing to you. I love you. When my children do stupid things, bad things, wrong things, it breaks my heart. It's called wrath. We have a very wrong understanding for God's wrath. Do you get it? I want you to start understanding wrath a little differently. Wrath is the emotional response that God feels when there's an injustice or a wrong done. Yes, he has wrath. But our God is a loving God and his wrath is flowing out of love. God's wrath is not only for the victim of the situation, but his wrath and love goes to the person who perpetrated it. Now, you know, it's one thing when my kids get beat up by the neighbor kid. Oh, I better go over here because this is my wrath. If that happens, oh boy, you torture my baby, I'll smack on your face. I will get you. And I will, in fact, one day, oh my. Jasmine was like three. And the people behind us were having a birthday party. And they didn't invite Jasmine. And she's crying. And I told her, honey... They just forgot to invite you. You just go right on over there and play because all the neighborhood kids. She goes marching back there and I hear the girl go, I never invited you. I don't want you. Go away. She came home and I was so, I was full of wrath. I was, I was, oh boy. I want to slap him because I didn't have a love for her, the little girl over there like I have for my kids, right? But God, every one of us is his kids. So the guy who flew that airplane into the side of the French mountains over there, God loves him just as much as he loved all 150, but there was an injustice. There was an injustice. So God finds him in this dilemma where, himself in a dilemma where he he loves the victim, but he loves the perpetrator. God's love. But the cool thing is, not only is God love, he's holy and he's just. Whenever there's an imbalance, if you hurt me, I hurt you. I go into Macy's and buy my, get my stuff and go out. There is a bill to be paid. There is a debt. And God's justice will always make sure that debt is paid. It will always get paid. Because he values justice. Justice is the weights and balances of a, you know, a scale. And anytime anything goes, God's going to make sure it goes, and comes back into justice. Because God is justice. He's not going to stop until justice is served. And it's not a mean justice. It's a justice that brings it back into balance. So, at the end of the month... When Macy's sends its bill to me, I realize, oh, man, yeah, I did take their stuff. I guess I better send my money. And then all of a sudden, the, the scale goes, and now we're, I'm just, I'm in, right? I'm clean with them. God is so loving that in every single situation where there is an injustice, 
he will make sure that justice is comes back together because we can't have peace, we can't have unity, we can't have good living until there's justice. But people of God, it's him that is to do that reconciling, not you. Okay? So now do you get a good understanding of this justice and all that kind of thing? You can go anywhere. I could preach this way, any any direction, but we kind of keep moving, okay? So what we have is, um, here's no injustice. Here's where we did, we broke it. We did stupid stuff. There's evil and there's death now. He, he warned us. All of this terrible stuff. God is sad. He's feeling wrath. He feels this, something's wrong. We got to put it right. And he, he feels the injustice and he's a just God. And he knows that there has to be a death now. There has to be because his word decreed that whenever there was sin, if you do this, you will die. And God said right there, he said, okay, look, either I choose to kill Adam and Eve and, in, and justice is served. But what's my number one desire? So you know what God decided to do? Substitutionary death called a sacrifice. Substitutionary death. So he took an animal. Animals don't sin, do they? Animals don't sin, but they don't have a choice to sin. So they are, their substitutionary death is not a perfect one. It can only cover. It cannot wash it away. So God took an animal and said, okay, listen, Adam and Eve, I'm going to do this. And this animal is going to die and shed its blood. Everybody say blood. And if when that blood is shed, then there can be justice. That animal is dying instead of you dying. And when that animal dies, then we have this look. We have Adam and Eve standing here, or whoever, and we've got the blood of that animal covering them, covering their sin, covering their brokenness, and now God and man can become close again. And when God did that, he instituted this thing called worship now. Everybody say worship. Worship was 24-7 up here. It never ended. But now we're in a whole nother dispensation. We're in this separation dispensation because if you are born a human being, you were in Adam when he sinned. I'm sorry you were in him. Every single human being was in him when he sinned. And when he sinned, there was actually like a DNA change within him. That though we had the kiss of God and the understanding of God and who God was inside of him, now he has sin in him. You were born into sin because you were born out of Adam. And we are now in this dispensation, this separation dispensation, that we aren't face-to-face with God anymore. But there will come a day when we will be face-to-face with God. There will come a day when we come back to this situation. But during this dispensation right now, you are a human being, a broken human being with sin in your bones. You know it. 
You feel it. I felt it today inside of me. Who felt it today even? Who felt the sin of their humanity in them? Tell me the truth. We fight it day after day, minute after minute, because it's inherent in us. So God did this blood thing. Let's talk about blood. Why blood? What uh, What about the blood? Why blood? Number one, and I got to go fast because I only got five minutes left. Let, uh, Leviticus 17.11. I'm just going to fly this stuff at you. Are you ready? Why blood? Why does it have to be blood? Why don't they just clip their toenails and, and give that? It's a lot cleaner. I mean, I know we don't like toenails either, but it's a lot cleaner. It's a little bit more, or just cut the hair. Why do we have to shed blood for this thing? Ooh, Leviticus 17. Verse 11. Can you put that up? For life, the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one life. The life of a creature is in the blood. The life, the word life is nephesh. Nephesh. N-E-P-H-E-S-H. And that, that Hebrew word means, um, soul, emotion, your soul, your emotion, let's see, what else? I, um, your essence. So your soul, your life, what is your life? Is it your heart beating? Am I merely a brain and a heart? No. I've got this thing in me. I've got this. And this is what scientists can't, they can't dissect it out of you because it's a spirit. It's the spirit of God on you. You were made in his image. You carry his spirit. You have a soul inside of you. That's what makes you so amazing. Well, where is it? I can't see it, touch it, feel it, or experiment on it. No, you can't. Because it's a spirit. Well, where is it? You can cut my leg off. I'm still me. You can cut my arm off. I'm still me. Here it says it's in the blood. Well, I have given total blood transfusions when I worked as a nurse. That's still that same person when they wake up. So is it literally in the blood? Christian science believes it's literally in the blood and that you can't take any blood products from another person or any kind of organ transplant. Is it literally in the blood? Duh, it's a spiritual thing. It's starting to get kind of weird out there, but it's truth. The life is in the blood. Now, there's another reference, another thing in the Old Testament you've got to get about blood. Immediately, we're going to see next chapter in Genesis, God says to him, Okay, listen, you get to eat meat now. Remember up to this point? They're vegetarians. He says, you get to eat meat, but don't eat the blood. Do not eat the blood. And this becomes a very hallmark law for all the Jews. They have to get circumcised pretty soon. Right now they're not. But pretty soon they have to get circumcised and they can't eat blood. It is such a huge thing for hundreds and thousands of years in the Jewish tradition. You are not to eat blood. Do not eat blood. Because the thought is, is that if you ate the blood of a lamb or a goat or whatever, you would be taking in their essence. And God did not want human Beings taking in the essence of anything. 
But instead, you're supposed to pour it out as a blood sacrifice so that you can have something paid for your sin that came in back here so that there can be justice and God can then turn his heart and see us and look at us and interact with us. He wants to be close, but death has to be a payment for our sins so we can become close. We have a debt. Is it making sense? Don't eat blood. Now, he sets this in motion. He sets this in motion early in Genesis. And it goes for a very, very long time. From creation, or actually we should say the fall, to Christ. There is a separation dispensation that substitutionary death happens. That animals are killed and their blood spilled so that humanity can draw close to God. Now, God set that up. It was a beautiful thing. And God's, you know, we see in with Noah here that there's just this amazing thing that happened. It turned his heart. It's amazing. But what happened is... We're going to read in two chapters that there's a division of humanity again. Some humanity keeps going towards the cross. This is the Jewish culture. Vast majority of people pretty soon are going to fall away. Even when they fall away, they're going to take something with them. Do you know what they take with them? Blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice is seen in every religion. All across Europe, paganism, they would sacrifice animals. All across the Near East, they would sacrifice animals. Hinduism sacrifices animals. Islam sacrifices animals. The whole Roman uh, gods sacrificed idols or um, animals. The Greek culture, the ancient Buddhism, India, Africa... All across America, all across the whole world, they are all going out and they're all sacrificing animals. But there's a huge difference. All these people are doing it out of fear because they're seeing wrath. And they have this, they have this mindset that actually the gods are hungry, so they have to feed the gods. Everything starts getting twisted. These, all of these religions now are starting to do it for a very odd thing. They're feeding the gods. They're trying to stave off his wrath and anger. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're actually throwing their babies in the fire. All sorts of strange, twisted things happen with animal sacrifice, but everybody's doing it. There's a world consciousness of the need of a sacrifice to draw close to their God. But, all the same time, these people are doing it. But the result of the Jews doing it, I can't get into it. Don't have time. I want to show you some pictures. Can you show them? Did you know that they're still doing animal sacrifices right now? All over Nepal. See that? 500,000 animals were sacrificed a year ago there. To stave off the wrath of their gods. Those are all animals sacrificed. Keep scrolling. Those are some of the people. Keep scrolling. 
They, they kill them and just leave them laying there, believing that God will help them this year. Look at the vast amount. You're getting ahead of me. Keep going. Lisa, look at that. I am here to tell you that that doesn't have to happen anymore for a very good reason. Okay, you can take that down. Everybody's going to be looking at that instead of me now. But I want you to see that it's happening now. We are, we are very strange. We are in a dispensation now that we don't do blood sacrifice. And we are getting really... But there was one for us. This is the deal here. Okay, so right here, bam. This is called fullness of time. Everybody say fullness of time. I don't know what in the world that means or what time is full. But apparently... In 33 AD, time was full. God sent his son, who was a fully man, fully God. He dealt with everything you deal with, every temptation, every struggle, every feeling of wrath. He he has dealt with everything, everything, everything. Think of your fight right now. He dealt with it. And he got through it, and he did not sin, not once. He was also God. And he died. He was the ultimate sacrifice. I'm not giving you near enough, because these animals up here, they had to be perfect for them to be able to be a sacrifice. God, Jesus was absolutely perfect. This was in 33 AD, and God totally flipped on its head religion. When Jesus came, he messed everybody up. When Jesus came, he messed everybody up. I want you to open up to the book of John. Now remember, up to this point, life is in the blood. The blood is the thing that's going to... um, uh, cleanse us of our sins. We're constantly shedding blood. I don't know how many animals every person would, sh- would kill as a sacrifice throughout their life, but there would be blood shed. When Solomon dedicated the temple, a thousand bulls were sacrificed that day. How much blood was that? Think about how bloody and gory that was. Think about that. But God saw that as incredible worship. I want you to understand that blood sacrifice is very, very important. So if you start in the book of John, he's just, Jesus is just flying along. He's happy. He's, he's, um, healing all sorts of people and, and doing things in chapter six. He walks on the water and he's feeding the 5,000 and he's got crowds and crowds and crowds. He's the new thing. And he's just so cool and he's loving and he does all these really cool things until one day. One day, chapter 6, verse 21, they're sitting by the side of the lake. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you, uh, let's see, actually scoot down a little bit farther. Uh, Verse 32, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my father. For the bread of God, okay, I'm going to go down a little farther because I'm running out of time. Go down to verse 48. He's having this discourse with all these thousands of people that absolutely love him. 
I am the bread of life, he says. Your forefathers ate manna from the desert, yet they died. And, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And everybody's like, well, I don't get this. Just heal my owie. Verse 53, and Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and what? (gasps) That's a no-no. You got to drink my blood, for you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Freak everybody out. Verse 60, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? 61, aware that the the disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man? And he keeps going down. And and, uh, for Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them would not believe. This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father enables him. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and nobody and no longer followed him. The crowds just melted away because he said, drink my blood. Totally wrong to their teaching. 67, do you not want to leave too, do you? Or do you, you do not want to leave too, do you? He says to the 12, Peter Simon answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, I have not chosen, have I not chosen you, the twelve? And he goes on to say that one's going to, but do you see all of a sudden the drama? Jesus said, drink my blood. Up until now, it was so bad if you drink. But can I tell you something? Up until now, you would have drank the blood of cattle and, and that kind of thing. And you would have taken that essence in. Jesus is now saying to you, I am now the bread of life. I am going to go into the grave. I am going to conquer everything because I am God and man together. I am going to change everything. And now the new thing is you have to drink my blood. I want you to take my essence in to such a degree that I want you to drink my blood. So then Jesus, it's coming, you know, from this point on, there's, there's going to be plots to kill him. Everybody's mad at him. It's just like, oh, the, the religious people. No, we got to keep our traditions. We got to keep our traditions. It's God saying, no, 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 no. We're going to change this thing up. They slay him on the cross. And the Jewish system is beginning to crumble now. By AD 70, which is just, what, uh, 37 years later, the Romans come in, destroy the temple, and not one sacrifice has been able to be made since. The death of Jesus wiped everything out. And he is saying now, drink my blood. I am the final sacrifice. Jesus was absolutely perfect in every single way. He was fully man, fully God. He was fully human, fully God. And his blood on the cross 
that stands like this, with man on one side, God on the other, as a heart. And this is the blood of Jesus. When we walk through and we accept Christ and we take him on as our sacrifice for our sins because we are a sinful people, when we walk through the beam of the cross, we are not just getting bloody, we get cleansed. And it is a perfect cleansing. And it is a one-time cleansing. And that blood was spilt 2,000 years ago. And at this point in time, the church doesn't understand blood sacrifice. Because we haven't had to see it. Because it was done 2,000 years ago. We didn't have to stand at the foot of the cross and watch him bleed for us. A perfect human who had never sinned. But the problem is, in the church today, that the only reason why we'd need blood is if there was sin. So many churches don't talk about sin anymore. They take sin out of the whole equation, and therefore they don't need the blood of Jesus anymore. Then we sit through church, and it's all about how can I, you know, me, me, and happy day, and happy things, and I just want to be happy. Is happy really it? There has to be a day, there has to be the voice of the church that can say, yes, the gospel is good news only because there's some bad news. The bad news is that we are sinners. I struggle every single day with sin. I need a blood sacrifice. I need a blood sacrifice. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he took with him Adam. Adam died in him that day. He didn't die back here when he should have. He did a substitutionary thing. And now Adam died in Christ that day. The Bible says that all sin was laid upon him. Every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that everybody else has ever committed. And I'm sorry, I've committed some sins. Somebody raise your hand if you committed some sins. I carry guilt. I carry condemnation. I carry it. I know it full well. But Jesus Christ died for me so I don't have to. And just because it happened 2,000 years ago doesn't make it any less real. We are, this is a, everybody wants a bloodless religion. It needs to be neat and tidy and clean. But I am not neat and tidy and clean. I am a mess. Oh, blood of Jesus. Come upon me. May I not forget You're sacrificing atonement. Some of you sitting here might say, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm I'm okay. No. Even Even if you have even one little jealousy, even if you've lied once, you've broken your relationship with God. You have separated. You now are in a separation dispensation. Has anybody felt the separation of God? Then I say to you people, come into a place of worship. Walk Through the cross, let the blood of Jesus do its work in your life, cleanse you. And in that cross, Jesus Christ, try 
triumphed over every sin, over every um, temptation, over every evil thing. Everything, every addiction was broken on that cross. Everything, everything was broken off of that thing. Every demon was triumphed. Every demon was broken. He, he had it in him. He bore it. I want to read this book so bad to you right now. But it talks about how the angels were dispatched down through the ages and they gathered the sin of all of the people and came back to Golgotha and put it on him. And he cried out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the separation that you feel. Oh, Jesus. Oh, ours is not a bloodless religion, though we don't ever see a drop of it. Sacrifice is real. The sacrifice was huge. And now what he says to us as his believers, as his people, he says, come to me. Come to me. Come through the cross. Accept Jesus Christ's blood as a propitiation for your sins. Walk through the cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus and be cleansed. And the Bible says in Romans 8, for there is now no condemnation for those who are. So you know what? You gotta leave your problems on the other side of the cross. You gotta put them over here. And they wanna cling on as you walk through. You need to just go burn. And you have to overcome them and you need to say no to that because I am now a new creation in Christ. And when you stand here, all guilt, all condemnation, all of it wants to ying and yang and yang and ying and yip and dap and rit and rit and rit at you. Or maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm pretty good. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I need blood. Oh, I don't know. I need blood. Stand up. I want everybody up here around the... I want you to stand in a big circle around these tables. Take this away. Can we have some music? And I'm so late. If you have kids, maybe go get your kids. Do you understand sacrifice a little bit now? A little bit? Yes, no? Okay. So here's the thing. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. He came, he lived, he died, he walked, he healed, he did all sorts of things. And when he died, the bride of Christ was birthed and it came forth. And he said, I no longer walk on this earth any longer but you.